0: Hey, folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase, and this is my podcast. Oh. Oh. Mm. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Pivot Point. You know, I'm going to say it, right? I am thrilled that you're here listening. We have a great show for you today. It's Don Wilkins, part two. If you remember, on part one, we ended with him deciding to leave Los Angeles and move on. And we're going to find out today how he moved on, where he went, and how it came to be that he ended up at Berkeley College of Music and developing the film scoring department, which is in my opinion, second to none in this country, if not the world, for film composition, judging just solely on the numbers of alumni that are working in our business, or who have retired. Um, and I want to do a little shift, however, before we go and, and hear the rest of Don's story. I want to mention about this one particular Berkeley alumni a friend of mine who will be on the show soon, Shai Roseau. He is a composer, music editor, and he is doing a, a walk for Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Please go to chla.org and then do a search for his name under the search for a fundraiser. Here's the deal, his son who's 11 now, son Ethan, he's been in and out of that hospital, well, to quote, shy more times than they can even count. And this is the time that they wanna give back and he's doing a fundraiser walk. His son is turning 11 on this Saturday, the 13th. And I wanted to give them a plug. I think it's a wonderful thing that they're doing Please go to chla.org. Look for the fundraiser. There's a button there you can go search for a fundraiser. Look for Shy Rozo R O Z O W and and help whatever you can. 50 bucks, 25 bucks, anything would be a help. Shy, you're doing a great job. Good luck with the walk on Saturday. We're rooting for you and of course for your son, Ethan. Okay. If you remember last week, I did give you a small update on the project that I was working on. And I thought it was going to take maybe, I don't know, three, four weeks before we would hear more about what's happening. Well, (laughs) as our business goes, uh, I have some updates for you. Here's the update. The end of this month, we're going to be wrapping this baby but I got to tell you, I still don't know <laughs> 100% what's happening with the score. I know a few things of what's not happening, but there's still some outstanding score pieces that, um, quite frankly, a lot of us have been kept in the dark about. So we'll figure it out. Like I think like maybe the day or two before I go onto the stage... Somebody is going to email me and let me know, here, put this piece of music in here. It's the craziest job I've ever been on. Um, I wish I could give you like more details of stuff, but I really can't. Not until this thing is out and published and all that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, what a ride. And interesting lessons. Interesting, interesting, interesting lessons, which I'll share with you on another date. Okay, let's get back to Don Wilkins. This was a great conversation, and it was really wonderful for Don and I to reconnect and talk about some things that uh, we have in common. And at the end, I just want you to know that we get a little philosophical. And by we, (laughs) I mean me, I, um every now and again, I just get up on this little, I don't know, thing, soapbox. I start going down, I start drilling down, and it's like, somebody's got to throw me a rope and pull me back out, you know? But <laughs> we go there, and uh, it's really good stuff, not about what I have to say, but <laughs> what about Don has to say, <laughs> and the things about Don's life. And, uh, and uh, also about how we deal with our creativity when we're going through some, some difficult things. All right, enough for me. Here's Don. We're going to pick up from where we left off, which, if you remember, he did this score, wrote 70% of it, didn't get equal credit, didn't get paid, and then he got fired from the guy who was taking advantage of him. Yeah. All right, Don, take us home.
1: It was like uh, the turning point for, okay... Let's let's leave. And so I talked to my wife and the time and we were expecting. And so we mm-hmm. went back to Tahoe to kind of detox from LA.
0: Yeah.
1: For for a year or so. Wow. And, but, yeah. So um and that was okay. I mean, it was it was okay. It was we were we were a lot saner. Yeah. Our life was quieter. We then we and we um, were having a baby and we had a baby while we were we were living there. That it was Benjamin, my my oldest son, mm-hmm. and um, um, it was a big change, uh, a lot of time to think, nothing, nothing, nothing creative much to do. I did mm-hmm. do some big band arranging for uh, what they used to call a, a uh, not a garage band, but a rehearsal band. There were a lot of rehearsal bands in LA at mm-hmm. that time, and uh, I got to know a guy pretty well. and did a lot of writing for that, and I kept doing that. They kept my hand in things a bit, and I would send the ch- charge down to him, in in L.A. But um, that that didn't pay very much. So we realized that uh, here's another pivot point coming up. I get a call. Here's Steve Lishman giving me the catalog to Berkeley. Yeah. And then there's another point where we're we're coming back and and getting connected in L.A. And, and then fired and, and moving out. And I get a call from Steve Lishman, who was my roommate at Berkeley and a, a good friend uh, through, through the years of, of studying there in the early se- uh, 60s, mid 60s, who is now the, um, I think he's the director of admissions. And he mm-hmm. says, they're looking, they're looking to expand the uh, curriculum and they, want, they need somebody to, to teach and, and expand the film scoring curriculum. It was still the same two courses, but they, whoever was doing it there wasn't doing it. If yeah. you know what I mean, it wasn't yeah. happening. And so um, we wanted to move back East anyway, because um, we certainly weren't going to stay in LA and Tahoe, nothing was happening up there uh, in terms of work or creative work. My, my wife at the time was in theater and mm-hmm. I was doing music. So her roots were in upstate New York. So we moved back to upstate New York uh, as a a, a basic uh, first step to possibly taking the job at, at Berkeley, because mm-hmm. that came into play, and so I still had to interview for that. So mm-hmm. I did go over to Berkeley when we uh, when we moved back, and we were expecting our second child on the way mm-hmm. during all this period. So um, now, I, Don did
0: did did you um, study with Earl Hagen? Oh yeah, I forgot about Earl. Gosh, I didn't forget about Earl. Because I thought you did. Uh, somewhere yeah. oh. in that time, With um, I, after Jack,
1: didn't you study with him? Or I during did. that time? At, during that time and after, yes. I, uh, that was probably in my notes but I haven't even looked at them. That's fine. No worries. Yeah. You know where that connection came? Was Warren Baker, who was the copyist for um, the, the, the TV movie with mm-hmm. Sally Fields, uh, That Overnight Job. I met him. He recommended me to take her uh, to take. Uh, this is a huge thing I left out, Joe. Thank you. Um, Warren recommended that that I meet Earl and uh, take his seminar course. Mm. And so uh, he he was. They were doing Mod Squad at the time, I think. Uh. And I went to one of the sessions and met Earl. And he said, "Sure, come on, come on on. You know, yeah." So they would kind of handpick these. People, I mean, they were sort of invited to take yeah. his seminar. There maybe there'd be eight or ten people every off season, which was early spring, usually not early spring, but mid spring, when everything had shut down for the for production. And so, um, I would go drive out to Calabasas and, and once a week and take Earl's class with him. And we got like to be good, you know, very good friends. Yeah, and I had his book. The uh, the tuition for the, the you know the cost for the course was uh, three dozen golf balls. And it had to be a certain type, a certain style titleist nineties I remember that I'm all over looking for for those particular ones. They were very popular, so they were always sold out but that was the uh, that was the um um real education uh and the final uh, fine tuning of of my background in in scoring in technical scoring because Earl's book was you know it became the foundation for. Yeah, what we did, you know, for, yeah. the, for many years. So, you know, you you really, uh, yeah, you really helped me back on track here because yeah. without that, I wouldn't have had, you know, as much resources to draw yeah. from for putting the curriculum together at Berkeley.
0: Yeah. And it was, I remember that book, and I, I remember oh, it was amazing. It had so much depth into it, and what a writer. Like, yeah. when you, you mentioned Mod Squad. That opening main title, that yeah. whole run-up. Yeah. That was like, holy cows. Yeah. I mean, it's still it's still
1: really cool today to it listen cool. to something like that. And it was like a 9.8 meter or something like that. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> like, that
0: guy was like, <laughs> he had it, and it, he had it going
1: on. Too. Earl was Earl – was, uh, he was all about aesthetics, but he was also about some really intricate mechanics, and he was yeah. very, very good on the mechanics. So I learned a lot from Earl, and also from his book, certainly. <clears throat> um, so and that became um, a lot of what we began with, you know. Yeah. But then, see, coupling with what I learned from Jack Tiller. Mm-hmm. and working post-production and going to dubbing sessions and scoring sessions I mean uh, mm. uh, spotting sessions with producers and just soaking it all in as Jack's yeah. assistant. You know wow what a, what a training.
0: Yeah yeah and then
1: Earl and then I took that with me and went to, to we, we thought maybe it was kind of a dead end when we went up to Tahoe you know was not, not much that was going on but then the call from Berkeley so bingo there's that there's that yeah. other that other um, pivot point. And that's what I bring back to Berkeley. And it's the same two courses and the same old antiquated equipment mm-hmm. that it was has been there for, for fifteen years before. And I said, You gotta buy this and this and this. And they said, Okay. And wow. so we ordered a click an additional metronome, a URI digital metronome. Yeah. This Bob Clock from Standard Sound in in the. In, uh, uh, they're from Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. I picked up the clock on my way to Berkeley. Um, <laughs> and uh, what else? If, you know, oh, we got some editing stuff. But we yeah. had no movie for a while. We used to, oh, this was, you know, you were there before I was doing um, synchronization with a 16-millimeter projector and a tape recorder, right?
0: Yeah, no, we didn't have that. We had, we had <laughs> two 16-millimeter
1: flatbeds Moviola. and one upright. Right, yeah. right, I mean that was happening then, but for it took me only about a year or two to convince them that we needed to get a flatbed million in there mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and so
1: that was the f- we bought one and then we bought another one, yeah, and uh, we were we were off and running at that point, but yeah. they had to see progress before they would you know invest Demet. too much. I said, yeah. you got to at least invest a thousand dollars because I need this and this, I need a digital metronome, and I need a clock, yeah, but those two things. I can, we can record in the studio and, and we can practice the techniques and we can have fairly synchronous music. But I, you know how I screen things with a projector and a tape recorder, watching for cues, turning one on, turning the other on. All right, go. Boom. Oh
0: my and, gosh.
1: And I got pretty good at, and then I didn't put another, another tape recorder on for a narration track. So yeah. I got two tape recorders running, not in sync, but I could keep yeah. them pretty close So the movie always helped a lot. And that's really what
0: changed things, Joe. That's amazing. And then when you started the department,
1: uh, how many students did you have? Well, there were those same two courses (laughs) (laughs) the same courses uh, that were there years ago. And I you know, you'd have oh, I don't know, sixteen students maybe in the class at the most. Yeah. But there was no major. It was just, you know, they were composition majors. Right, and I would favor the comp majors over, over you know any others. You know, ranging in comp and composition, I would, I would welcome those because they were writers; they had some mm-hmm. writing background mm-hmm. to, to take the course. And it probably only took well. Let's see. I started in the fall of seventy five. You know. Uh, yeah. With teaching, and in in the uh, spring of seventy nine, they declared a whole bunch of new majors, and film scoring was one of them, and. Um, then you could be we were adding courses as we went along history of film music Mm -hmm. uh, introduction to film scoring which was basically a well here's just what we do in film and here's you know it's like all about the pre-production and post-production you know the the different things that happened and a lot of aesthetics and and looking at Mm -hmm. films with and without music and Mm -hmm. you know uh, I had added uh, two or three courses and then a couple more as we went further along but uh it once it became a major we had um, a, a real system in place for uh having um people apply to the major and we could yeah. gauge how many people we had how many would go on different courses and and we added new teachers too you know so it started to grow pretty pretty quickly and you were there in the in the early to mid 80s were you not
0: i was there i graduated in 83 so mm-hmm. i came uh in let me think here 78 79 I came in '80. '80. Yeah, I came in '80 and graduated in '83. Okay. Yeah. So I remember it pretty. uh, It was I didn't realize it was new, but I knew that it felt uh, fresh. Like it. It. it, it, I felt like everybody was exploring. We were still in that huge curiosity phase uh it wasn't like this class has been taught a hundred times you know it was it, it was mm. um it had some really excitement behind it which i I really fed on i fed on that yeah.
1: well it's it's an area that um is quite attractive to people, especially when you show them a scene without music and then you put a scene, put the music in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you begin to talk about it, and whether it's good or bad. You know, I mean, it can, can sometimes learn a lot from a, a poor piece of music that's not working quite as well,
0: yeah. as a,
1: and the contrast between one that is really spot on.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, no, that's what I loved about it, Joe, was just, um, you know, exploring the, that intangible relationship, yeah. the symbiotic relationship of, of visuals and sound, mm-hmm. N- mm-hmm. in this particular case, music. Uh, it was. It's. It attracted me from my childhood. So, yeah. isn't
0: that amazing? Yeah. That, when we're young, we somehow know there's something mm. that resonates within us, mm. and we get drawn to it, and we stay. Sometimes we stay far away, but we're still aware. And then, as we get older and older, we get drawn more and more to what is true within us. Right. You know. Yeah. So tell me, I, I mean, I get that the Jack thing was a hurdle, and I I'm curious to know some of the other difficulties that you went through, um, like some of the stuff, and how did, how did you handle some of the other hurdles, like you know going to Tahoe. I mean, for a year, how did you even survive? Um, and then coming back to Boston and, and figuring out how all that's going to work and, and building a department. And, you know, there are other things that have happened in your life. And I know that you ended up, you and Cindy um, got, got divorced. divorced. I was working with you when yeah. that was happening uh, on another project. Um, yep. So tell me a little bit about some of those.
1: Well, the, the the exit from LA was uh, we really wanted it, so it wasn't reluctant, mm-hmm. and we also had my folks' place uh, summer place at Tahoe, which was kind of a uh, an oasis. You know, I mean, it was a it wasn't an oasis, but a. A go-to place. I mean, it was a comfort area that Cindy loved, and uh, I I grew up in, in spending mm. my summers there. So we had that without a financial uh, obligation because it was in the family, and that mm. helped an awful lot. Because we yeah. had very menial jobs while we were there, and then you know Cindy got pregnant couldn't even couldn't work then so either so it was it was it was um, lean and mean for a while there as far as um, um, yeah. But it was doable, and it's a gorgeous area to live. So that kind of, you know, lifts your spirits. And uh, yeah. we both we both love Tahoe, um, and we had family nearby. Uh, I had a lot of brothers and sisters, and it was it was it was a it was good. It mm-hmm. was um, different, mm-hmm. but it was necessary to kind of make the break uh, back to uh, the East Coast, and I was reluctant to go there. Uh, because Cindy's folks were going to move to Florida and we could go into their house in, mm. in, um, uh, upstate New York, Albany, uh, near Albany, uh, Troy, New York. Mm-hmm. So we had those resources to go to, which really helped financially a lot. Um, and then the, the cut possibility of that phone call from, from, you know, Steve Littman about, you know, the, the opening at Berkeley. Well, that just solidified that we we're going to go. Yeah. And if I got the gig at Berkeley, fine, we'd go and we would settle over there. But we had that option. So we were blessed in that regard so that we could make mm. a, a decision eventually uh, based on, on that um, factor. But um, it was, we were excited. We had a young family, you know, we, mm-hmm. we were going home in a way, you know, yeah. I was coming back to, Ber- it was a familiar place. I mean, you know, great teachers, I like was coming right back to them. So um I gotta, I gotta close the blind for a minute here. Sure.
0: There you are, Joe. I can now can see you. Yeah. <laughs> I can see the light going back and forth on your face, and I'm like, eh.
1: <laughs> yes, he's hallucinating. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> he's recalling all those days. That diamond Watch out. <laughs> oh my gosh. God, man. Uh, no, c- coming, coming, moving back east. Yeah, difficulties, uh, challenges, you know, the, you know, concerns and their worries and so forth, but a lot of hope and expectation that uh, things Mm -hmm. are going to work out. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, I'm, in a way, I'm coming back to my other home, which was Berkeley, which I Mm love so much. Mm -hmm. And up to a position that, uh, you mean, they would have taken me as an arranger, uh, I think, too, uh, because of my experience. But, but they did want, they did have a need. And Mm -hmm. uh, it looked like I could fill it. They they were trying me out. They didn't give me any new equipment until a year. And uh, mm-hmm. when the classes began to populate quickly, they said, okay, we're going yeah. forward, and actually, which led to the new majors with in several areas. Jazz comp was becoming a major. And at one point, we had over 300 majors. Wow. They don't have as many like that now, but it was really growing. And, you know, uh, that's why we had to double the space. So we yeah. went, went upstairs as well. But it got... It got big and a little less personal in terms of
0: yeah.
1: you know, more teachers and more students and mm-hmm, used mm-hmm. to know everybody and then you, you don't quite, you know. But mm-hmm. it's still it's still a great place. And uh I have wonderful colleagues that work there and there was a, a nice thing that happened to me that a year I think after I retired. What's the what's the uh Chair Emeritus?
0: Uh-huh.
1: The Chair Emeritus film scoring. Nice so at that title.
0: And, yeah. um,
1: you know, that's, that's a nice, kind of gives you a sense of, well, okay, we've had a few, a few reels running by us over the yeah. years, and it's been a good run, but...
0: You've influenced but, so many lives, Don, and impacted so many of our lives, and people who are working in the business today, still working in the business today, from even, you know, before I graduated, and... Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you've made a name for Berkeley in our business.
1: Well, you know, you guys have made the name for Berkeley because you went out there and did it. Uh, it's like anything, Joe, you know, the teacher points you in a direction, you've got to go there. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I I love the idea, the fact, and I, I'm so overjoyed by the fact that so many of you are successful in your careers, more than successful, you know, and and contributing a tremendous amount to the industry, and uh, it reflects back well on Berkeley and certainly on all the teachers that are there. Um, but it's uh, it gives me a great deal of satisfaction mm. for your of, for your success to know of mm. your of your advancement, uh, all of you who are working out there, and and uh, I stay in touch with so many of you too, which is.
0: Yeah. That's really great, isn't it?
1: No, yeah. It warms my heart. It it um it's just great.
0: Yeah, it is. And one of the things that I I want to bring up is how satisfying it was for me to be able to get you involved in hometown. Hometown. And another pivot point that um it was it was <laughs> because that was my break into the business after I thought I was never going to work in this business. And we had a composer for this TV show and we hadn't had an air date yet because it was a mid season replacement. And so what happened was two episodes were scored and the producers and directors were working uh, on episode three and they've, they finally you know, had the time and, uh, put their attention to music and they listened to the score and it was not at all the direction they wanted Mm. to go in. And I remember that when I heard that, I remember calling you and saying there might be an opportunity here. Overnight me, a demo tape, (laughs) a
1: cassette tape. Cassette tape.
0: (laughs) And, um, and so I had that tape and we were at Clinton recording studios, which I think is now gone. Good good studio. I really like that studio. Oh my gosh, me too. I really loved it. And uh, I remember having the meeting and uh, I believe it was the Kurgos Mm -hmm. and Herb at the studio and we were listening back to stuff and they were kind of like, not throwing, getting themselves into a panic, but a little bit like, this isn't going to work, you know, Mm -hmm. and how do we handle this? And I just remember saying to Herb, I think I may have a solution. And they said, what? And I said, well, here's a composer that I know. And I talked about you and talked about Boston, where you were. And, they, and I said, I have his tape. They will throw it in. And I threw it in. We played it. And they were all like, that's the direction we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, this is going to be great. Because, I mean, <laughs> think about it. It was like kind of taking my education and applying it mm-hmm. now in the real world, yeah. And so mm-hmm. it was really an amazing opportunity, pivot point for both of us. Really
1: mm-hmm.
0: huge because because you were scoring stuff, I got to work with you as a music editor while you were mm-hmm. scoring. Yep. And I don't remember if I did any orchestration or not. I'm, I we did, but you we did were in the first.
1: You did in the first show because it was an overnight thing, and I was. Press. Yeah, okay all right yep, yeah made out big yeah okay yeah. I,
0: I i remembered something but it was a thrill to be able to do that yeah and uh and you know and unfortunately the show never got picked up right. <laughs> we we did eight episodes i think and well, that
1: that was it well joe i think because it didn't get picked up i'm still alive today <laughs> I'm not, sure. I'm not sure I would have made it through a whole season. I mean, Why you know, you was commuting that? back and forth between oh, from Boston right. to New York and still teaching and, and yeah. then doing a show. I mean, you'd send me the notes on a Friday and I would write the show over the weekend and go down on Monday and record yeah. on oh. Tuesday and go back on okay. Wednesday and teach yeah. Thursday and Friday and boom, you know. Uh, but you were a great help to me, and you were perfect for that moment, that show. Oh. You you used your you had a lot of enough chutzpah to know that you could yeah. you could do this, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you got you got big points with them for for that. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I don't remember.
0: I just remember it working. Yeah, and I remember we had an amazing. Just amazing recording sessions with amazing uh, players.
1: I oh, try yeah. to think
0: whether Brecker Brothers once on one of the gigs. Yeah,
1: Randy, Randy, Randy. And, um, okay, and and Lou Marini and uh, oh, um, yeah. who, oh, you know, who, uh, Chuck Loeb played guitar. Yeah, on a lot of sessions and uh, um, Francisco Sentera, bass player. Oh my, yeah. good yeah. good players. Herb got great players. He did he got great right. and herb <laughs> well here we go <laughs> oh that's God. about a pressure <laughs> oh my gosh more like a pressure point
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there was one time
1: i know you stayed at herbs right when yes. you came out he was he was gracious to let me stay there and uh, crash because i was i was yeah. doing all-nighters you know but yeah each show you know.
0: And I don't know how to even describe this, but I'll, I'll say that I know there were a couple of moments where Herbs, herb, how do I even say this, Don? I can refl- I'll just reflect this on something, and if you want to go there, you may. <laughs> I had a friend of mine in Nashville one time, and uh, he, um, I don't want to say too much because he's still alive. Yeah. But uh, he invited me over. He's musician, uh, composer. And um, and his studio was in his garage, and so I went there. He wasn't in the studio, and so I knew to like go into the house and say, and I call his name. I'm not going to call his name out. Right. And I was like, hey, you know, and he's like, I'm upstairs. I'm like, okay, I'm like, come up, <laughs> and he's got the bathroom door open, and he's sitting on the hopper, and I'm like, dude, I'll talk to you downstairs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll leave you to your privacy. Yeah. What? What? Oh. And I'm like,
0: and that there was a similar thing, if I remember, with Herb. Something, Herb, yeah,
1: something similar. <laughs> something in his in his uh, skivvies, I think. In his skibbies. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> brushing his teeth, talking right. to you from right. the
1: top of the stairwell. <laughs> right. Well, he was double tasking, you know, multitasking. I guess.
0: Oh my gosh! It's just the world, man. It's like yeah. what?
1: Well, so. you know there i mean you've you've worked with so many people and and there's such a range of um characters um interesting and <laughs> yeah and a little a little a uh, little a little left of center or, left yep. or you know off little off center i should say a little off center yep. <laughs> um but they they have a a, um, a skill an ability yeah a calling, and they do they do what they do very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you just have to kind of, we all have stuff, you know, we yeah. all have baggage, you know, we all yeah. have issues that uh, we need to to kind of um, allow mm-hmm. people to have and uh, kind of absorb them, you know, be a little bit of a shock absorber from time to time. Mm. Because uh, talented people can be very eccentric. Yeah. You know, and uh, th- that's that's what gives them their breadth of uh, character um, mm-hmm. their um, imagination their you know their ups and their downs mm-hmm. um, and I mean it, it, it happens to all types of people and I, I'm I think the cr- very creative people are very they sometimes swing uh, you know real hard one way and then the, and then they kind of level back up again because you know it's hard to manage sometimes your emotions yeah um, <laughs> and um you know depending on your position in, in the in the course of a certain situation you can get kind of uh impatient with people or upset and uh mm-hmm. you know i i have to really uh watch my own emotions a lot of times cuz um you know i just uh i got to let people be people and it, mm-hmm. it this is a kind of a coming to a sort of a another point in my life where i realize that um I had to make some changes, you know, in, in the way that I looked at the world and at other people in particular. And um, I got a... I went to lunch with a friend at Berkeley one time, good friend, and uh, he uh, we were talking and he, he knew me pretty well. Mm-hmm. And he asked me if, uh, if uh, I had ever looked into AA. And I said, well, no. I he says, well, you might, you know you might want to check that out at some point. He says, would you like to have some some literature from them? And I said, well, sure. You know, I mean, I I didn't consider myself an alcoholic or drinking uh, to where I was mumbling my speech and falling down all the time, but it doesn't really take that to be an alcoholic. And um, I, I was a little taken back by that, but I, I um, agreed to have him do that. So he sent me some information about the program and I looked at it, and I, I put it away, uh, and I, yeah. every once in a while I take it out. I had remarried Joe. This is, this is yeah. uh, more recently, mm-hmm. uh, and my wife, God bless her, uh, Sharon, is uh, very supportive. You've mm-hmm. been married 32 years. She's been putting up with an awful lot from me and I with her. <laughs> it's a two-way street. <laughs> yeah, all relationships are. But, you know, um, I had family issues in the past. I can look back on now and say, hmm, it was kind of an alcoholic family to some extent. And, uh, you know, I I just didn't want to admit it for Mm -hmm. the longest time that I had probably had a problem. Um, You know, if if they say in the program, if you think you've got a problem, you've got a problem. You know, you think you've got a problem with alcohol, you've got a problem. And so I just kept skirting around it and 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 uh, avoiding it for the longest time and um there was a, I think some kind of a was it a hurricane that came through here it was it was Hurricane Irene which was my mother's name mm. it came through here mm-hmm. uh in the fall of 2011 and uh power went out for a while and I was kind of I had been retired for a while so I did start to drink a lot more during the day and uh you know, just not even talking about or concealing it. Mm. And because uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. And um, this had been going on for a while. I think part of what brought that on was getting remarried and blending a family. Sharon had mm. two boys and I had two boys and a girl. Mm. They were all in school age when we got married. And then uh, in the subsequent years, some of them went off to college and so forth. And finally, we were down to just the two of us for the past Oh I would say 10 years or so maybe even longer. But uh you know living with someone you notice things and uh she would all occasionally talk to me about this and I would kind of put it off. So getting to the point here um she the power was out for a while and I was uh, trying to find out how to keep my beer clo- cold you know during all of this. <laughs> yeah, you know talk about priorities you know you right. really got you got to do right. that. Um, and we, we, it kind of came to a point where she said, you really got to, you've got to get some help, you know, you should get some help. And I didn't want to mm. say, yes, of course I'll go. You know, I just kind of sulked off and I, I, I stopped drinking for two weeks. First of all, I called, I looked for that information that my friend had sent me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, uh, I read through it. And I called him and he said, uh, well, go to any one of those meetings. It'll be fine for you. And he, immediately he sent me the two main books that are in the program, the big book, the the, the blue, uh, big blue book and uh, uh, the 12 and 12 uh, that we read at meetings all the time. So I had those and I started to go to those and I didn't drink for two weeks and I went to my first meeting and uh, I was nervous. Mm. I didn't want to admit I was an alcoholic. I didn't want to... I didn't even want to say that word, you know,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, Uh, because it's you're just in denial of it, you know, and you can have other problems. People can have other problems; they just don't want to admit them, but Mm -hmm. you, you. the way to admit it is to, you know, call a spade a spade. I mean, I I, I didn't want to do that. And mm-hmm. so I took that two-week period, and I did some of the reading, and I went to my first meeting, which thankfully wasn't a, a step meeting. It was more of a, a an open speaker meeting. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't have to, you know, stand up right away and say, hi, I'm Don, an alcoholic, you know, and everybody was, right. hi, Don, you know. Yeah. Um, it's uh I just I was nervous about that sort of thing. So this was an open meeting and I looked around and everybody looked normal. Right. Of course they look normal because they're normal people, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's no big deal. But you think that they you know could have two heads or yeah. you know just, weird looking or whatever or strange or, or nervous or dangerous it wasn't at all the case you feel like you're among people you know or you know very people very friendly very outgoing very helpful mm-hmm. um and right away you know hey there's a meeting tomorrow at 11 o'clock in the you know so such such church and so forth and you get a lot of encouragement um mm-hmm. and i went to that next meeting and i went to the next one after that and i kept on going and i finally got to to the point when I had a meeting when I really realized I could you know admit that I was an alcoholic. Mm. Um, it's it's a it's a personal point in your life where you it's a pivoting point very important point to to realize that you could do something about yourself and mm. you need to mm-hmm. and uh, I think. We can say this to ourselves, and we do say it to ourselves, you know, when we have these kind of concerns, but we oftentimes don't do anything about it.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: just keep going on the same way until we get into another bumper crisis, and then we correct ourselves for a while, and then we start going on the same way again, Yeah. and then another bump. And when you go to meetings, you, you hear the stories of people, people's struggles, and the the humanity the, the humanity of uh recovery of hope and recovery begins to um uh, sink in mm-hmm. and you realize yeah i can have that too you know mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. if
1: i just keep coming to meetings don't drink come to meetings ask for help those are the thing three things they keep telling you don't drink go to meetings ask for help and ask for help you get a sponsor eventually. You, mm-hmm. you you find somebody that you'd like to work with. And it's not hard work. Maybe it's hard, but it's not hard. Yeah. it's it's um, it's reading, it's self-searching. it's you know self-analysis. and mm-hmm. uh, following the steps that they they lay out for you, and it uh, they work. They really yeah. work. I've been in recovery now for nine years, Nothing. coming up on ten. And, it's uh, just
0: amazing, Don. Congratulations. It's amazing.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. And it's, you know, but one day in recovery is a miracle too. For some sure. people, it, it is
0: incredible, huge. Did uh, you find that the during the beginning parts, you had a, a a draw, a dependency on the alcohol? Or did you feel like when you had an awareness or an acceptance that I'm an alcoholic, was it was that the biggest change that awareness, that acceptance and the rest was then learning maintenance or was there more to learn even after that acceptance because you had, uh, drawings the the physical part of, you know, of wanting to drink for whatever those reasons were for you, you Mm -hmm. know, did, did you have that struggle as well?
1: no i didn't uh surprisingly mm. um a lot of people do joe uh, yeah. people they're they're in recovery but they're shaking and yeah. they're and you know it's the withdrawal and but you know i've seen people who are shaking and two months later they're not shaking anymore you know or however long mm-hmm. um, it's a pro it's a different process for everyone Mm-hmm. and uh, my sponsor who I love, he's gone now, he died a year and a half ago. I miss mm-hmm. him terribly. He say, you know, Don, you got off the elevator before it hit the ground, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I'm saying, I, I'm having, I think, I, I thought I would be having a harder time yeah. uh, with this, but for some reason, God, God willing, and uh, thank you, God. um <clears throat> I, I didn't have the kind of withdrawal mm. issues that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but I, uh, I, yeah, I can't explain it. That's um, okay.
0: It, it's, it is. It is what it just. You know, that's just how it went for you.
1: It it it, it just just uh, I felt. Like I, I think coming clean with myself. By that, I mean, you know, calling it for what it was. Mm-hmm. Honesty. The, the honesty, yeah, yeah. The, the um, self analysis um, and admitting it. It's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Now there's still um, there's still. Um, Times where people struggle uh, in any degree of with any degree of sobriety, mm-hmm. w- because we're human and we're, we 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 have what we call character defects, mm-hmm. and uh, we all have different ones, and sometimes they're similar than other people, but they come roaring around and waking up uh, us up every so often when when our buttons are pushed, yeah, when we don't like something we hear or see or whatever, or we don't agree with it. Excuse me for a second. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so we're vulnerable yeah. um, to uh, to our own um, character defects, uh, our flaws, whether those be um, uh, mental or you know more physical, uh, mm-hmm. you know, abusiveness, you know, outwardly, or yeah. or just you know, anger that you is swelling up inside you, or disappointment, or depression. Uh, I mean, the human condition is very, very complex, as as we all know. Yeah,
0: yeah. and we're fragile.
1: We're and, and there's
0: a lot of we've learned coping mm. mechanisms from day one. It's yep. a, we learn how to cope, and sometimes uh, awareness is too overwhelming, mm-hmm. and because we haven't figured out a way to make it palatable. And make it so that we can reconcile it within ourselves. So we choose other, other paths, other, other, um, what do I want to say? Other, uh, there's a word I want to say, uh, distractions, diversions, distractions, Yeah, diversions yeah. and, and sometimes those are chemical. Sometimes it's uh, detachment. Mm. Um, Because it's living living truly, honestly, in this world as a human. It sounds like I'm getting really philosophical. But I just think in terms of honesty, it's really hard. It is. It's overwhelming to be aware of so much, especially today, where you want to know about anything in any part of the world. Well, most any part of the world. Yeah. You can just look it up. You can find it. <clears throat> and, you know, during, during uh, the past, especially the past two years, I started asking, what's happened to our humanity? Where mm-hmm. did it go? Mm-hmm. Because of the way people were treating other people.
1: Right.
0: Not without dignity. And without um, respect and uh, uh, tolerance, maybe. Maybe that's too PC. But I just couldn't understand it. And and Kristen, once I was talking to her about it, and she just said, this is our humanity. Mm -hmm. And that is true. Our humanity, we all have that capability of being amazingly wonderful and kind, or incredibly cruel, Mm -hmm. that shadow side of our life. And for you to be able to shine the light on the shadow exposes it for you to then make some choices. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of courage and a lot of, um, yes. Anding to, to coin the improvisational term. Yeah. And that's you know that's why i say congratulations you know
1: <laughs> <That> <laughs> it's a you. it's a big it's a really big deal well it is it, it's a it's a reckoning that um people don't often make with themselves because they don't recognize the need for it in mm. in their daily activities and things and you know, some people are really not very nice to be other yeah. people, and other people are just terrific, you know.
0: Yeah, that's
1: right. So, it's, we're all, we're all different. And yeah. the thing that, um, the thing that uh, uh, comes around an awful lot in meetings is the fact that one of the key things to success in, in uh, recovery is called acceptance. Mm and um that's a that's a huge thing for me uh, mm-hmm. because i sometimes i don't think things should be done that way or it's not right or yes. how can you do that yeah and i'm not even talking about you know stuff i know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm just talking about uh how people you know function and uh yeah. respond and present themselves or you know whatever uh it can be a big thing it can be a small thing and i still tend to react to those things or to overreact and i have to keep on guard about those things
0: sure so mindfulness it's a
1: mindfulness practice it is and self-awareness there's an awful lot of good literature available on recovery and uh you know um self-improvement and uh I tell you, um, what I oftentimes say when I'm talking at a meeting is if only uh, businesses and organizations and other groups in the world would conduct their affairs like an AA meeting is run, it would be fabulous because we are respectful of one another, we're patient with one another, we are not judgmental. You know, it's just, it's like the, a, a world community that, because we're all different in that little, you know, meeting room of 20 people or whatever. It's like a little, you know, you know community of um, a little nation, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, if it can work, and it works because we are in tune and in place, in, in, uh, in line with, with what we know we need to be doing in our lives, If you take care of yourself, then you know and like minded people do the same thing. It uh it brings wonderful results. Wonderful results.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (coughs) And I guess that's part of the challenge of our our life because uh because that's not how it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately.
0: (coughs) (laughs) But it's part of being as a creative person. It's part of, it's part of how we can express that in our creativity. It's in the writings that you sent me a couple of weeks ago, which I absolutely loved. That it, when we are accepting and when we are aware, more true to ourselves, the more truer are is the things that we're communicating through the art that we have chosen to express in because even um even if it's a little of of protecting uh, i'm often you know i've been studying acting for some time and my acting coach whom i love um steve taser has often said to me don't protect your heart in your art
1: Hmm. interesting It's,
0: it's the vulnerability yeah that draws other people, mm-hmm. and I have found, particularly doing this show, that vulnerability begets vulnerability. Right. That when you are open and you talk about unprotected areas of your life, other people let their defenses down.
1: Right. They do. And, yeah.
0: and we start sharing at a whole different level. And I think all of us want that type of connection. Uh, when we meet somebody when we talk to somebody we have a meeting yes there's an agenda yes you need to get such and such accomplished but we we need that connection with each other and i think that's what our, our i think that's what the arts provide is like a, a, a bridge of connection and I I'll, I'll step off the soapbox now well, well, it's a, <laughs> <it's good. laughs>
1: I tend to go down that road. <laughs> it's a good road to go down, Joe. Yeah, but yeah, it's just not everybody's willing to go down that same road with you. You know. Yeah, that's true. They have their and... own road. They want you to follow. <laughs> oh yeah, I've I've been down that world before. Yeah, gonna, that's so I'm gonna true. I'm going to read you something if I if I may. Sure, please do. Uh, from it's from the big book and okay, um, it's it's on a little card. I don't, you can't see this, can you? Or can you? Yeah. Uh yeah yeah I can. Uh, some guy made these up, and it's just one of those things where we have a lot of sayings in in in, in recovery programs, and they, they, you know, it's like over and over again. You, you've heard this, you've heard that. It's like things that people say all the all the time, but they they have meaning and substance behind them because they actually do work. And yeah. uh, this is that whole thing about acceptance. <clears throat> uh, if I can read with my glasses, I'm sort of on. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems. Today, when I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this time in God's world. By mistake, until I, oh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped a whole line. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober unless I accept life completely on life's terms. I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not only so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me, and in my attitudes. The Big Book, page four seventeen. Wow, it's just a it, it. It starts with us. It starts yeah. with you. It starts yeah. with me. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, people people are wonderful. But people are afraid. Yeah. You know, and it's hard. It's hard to grow sometimes. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's true. Well, there's something in that what you said about acceptance that um, for me, that is a, a challenge, is the accepting things as they are supposed to be at this point in time. I There's a thing in me that just says, nuh-uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and because I want things to change. Right. But then it further goes on and it says, but don't, you know, really, this is me paraphrasing, but don't, mm-hmm think about or try to change what needs to be changed in the world, but rather how you can change. Yeah. And that really is the truth. Right.
1: right.
0: And that's the part that, you know, I I really struggled with the politics that were happening in our country, as particularly this last year.
1: Of course. Yeah. And
0: the last few weeks, even. Um. Um, struggling in the sense that I just, you know, here I am in my room wanting to change the world
1: mm-hmm.
0: and seeing the capital being, um, stormed. Overtaken, yeah. yeah. I, I just, it, you know, that frustration that builds in you that, you know, you can't do something about, yeah. um, but you want desperately to do something about it. Um, that's, where acceptance has to come in to understand my limitations, mm-hmm. to understand that there's there's things I can, I just can't do and do the things that I can do and be okay with that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and it's a big opening, a big eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a work, a, a, a work of progress for me for the rest of my days. I know because sure. I like to if I can change a situation, I will. And if I see something that is incorrect, uh, especially when it comes to abuse, um, I I feel the need to speak up about it. And I don't know if I'm also challenged with just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, all you know as well. So I'm really looking to be introspective and also. Um, receptive to those impulses of yes, do something and mm, leave this, leave this alone, leave it alone and let it unfold. So I I say all that to say that I can, I understand in some degree the, the being aware of yourself is so important and, and having an understanding of uh, your defaults, the things that you go to, Mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, I'll just say for me, it's food. Yeah, you know, I, I I love food, and I know I go to food. I go to food for comfort. I go to food yep. for boredom. I'll be writing, and I'm like, okay, I'm at a good break. What's in the kitchen? Yeah, right. let's see what there's. <laughs> What's there? Yep. And I I I partly blame it on my being an Italian. Like that's what Italians do. We <laughs> mange. eat. Mangia, mangia, mangia. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. Yeah. But <laughs> not to the not to the extent where I start not able to fit into my clothes. Right. Sure. And uh, you know, and I, you know, start wheezing and those kind of things. So, you know, having an awareness of whatever it is that we we tend to go to to, to protect our heart. Mm-hmm. And going back to what Steve would say, it, then you're protecting your heart in your art. Yeah. So to stay vulnerable, to stay open, it's been, it's been a great journey for me in that regard. Because it's, not only have I, am I learning about the acting craft, but I'm learning so much about myself as a human being. And I think that's what attracted me to actors in the first place. Whenever I heard them talk, they seem to know themselves so well. Yeah. And seem to understand their emotionality and in their, their place in, in, in the world that they're living so well. And I wanted that. I, I want that still.
1: It's difficult to play somebody else effectively if you don't know yourself that truly, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So,
1: or, or the humanity and
0: <clears throat> your own human. Yeah. You're right. That's it. Because it's, we all have that part of us in us mm-hmm. and it's letting that part come out of our humanity.
1: Walk a mile in my shoes, that whole thing, you know,
0: it's yeah. just, yeah, yeah.
1: no, it, It. um, I think it's important for people to think about these things more, Yeah. more, in, um, consistently and, and, you know, challenge we have to challenge ourselves once in a while, you know, and, and yeah. uh, I mean, it's not like taking a self-help class or whatever, but um, we know how we we live and and, and interact with other people, and um, sometimes we need to really take a uh, stand back and take a look at how we come across. Mm-hmm. And I, I I know I cringe about myself and in memories I have about situations where I overreacted to something that was really not that
0: mm-hmm.
1: big of a deal, or I shouldn't have even been concerned with that particular moment um i should have been more caring
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that particular moment i mean you learn a lot but yeah. you have to you have to go looking for it in yourself if you're going to learn anything at all and uh, yeah. a lot of people still don't like to go down that road so no.
0: yeah understandable it's I get it's,
1: it. it's challenging yeah but, i like
0: the word challenging it is true it's very challenging <laughs> Well, Don, this has been wonderful. I can't tell you. We could probably sit and (laughs) chat for hours. And thank you for saying yes to be on the show. Um, Later, Joe. (laughs) uh, I'll tell you, you. it's just been really great. Um, I do want to say, do you remember at Berkeley when Jerry Goldsmith came? Yes. And uh, I think about this often, and an opportunity I missed, like, uh, but it was in a break. And I had walked into the room and you and Jerry were over by the corner window smoking cigarettes blowing the smoke the window. Like, you know. And I was, oh, sorry. And I just walked out and I was and I go back, and I'm like, what? You should have gone in there and sat with them. You should have gone in there and hung out. I'm like, oh, I missed it. Yeah. You know, because I ended because I was gonna go to LA. But I think I had so much reverence for for Jerry that
1: I ah, just didn't didn't treat him like a human being. Well, it was difficult for me too, Joe. But I, I know what you're saying, and and uh, you, you know you there's a picture of you and Joe Carrier and Emmett Sen standing around yes. the movieola with Jerry Goldsmith. I have that picture. I think I did. I send you a copy. You of You send it to me. I l- absolutely love it and that was a great day
0: yeah and
1: you know we revere people in 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 our profession and they're great they are no question they're fabulous you know um, creative fabulously creative people but they're still just human like you and me and um, you know sometimes I think we we assume too much that they might be hoity-toity or oh I, I can't I can't approach them because they're they're um, too large, you know. Yeah. Their uh, their presence is overpowering to me. You know, I have found people sometimes in that that you revere that way, or look upon that way, or think about that way as being so down to earth, and yeah. so natural. And you say, "Oh my gosh, it's just you know, it's just like hanging out I and mean, am talking." Yeah. I did that with Robert Robert Redford at at one of the Hasty Pudding shows. He was Man of the Year, and at the end of the show, we were hanging out, sitting on the edge of the stage, just hmm. talking. And he just won some Oscar or something like that for Butch Cassidy, and it was just people are like that. We I think we assume too much sometimes. Yeah, yep. you know that yeah. uh, that we shouldn't do this or whatever, but you know. I, I just en- enjoy talking with you, Joe, and we go back a long way. Yeah. I had you as a student. You got me a great gig. We worked together. <laughs> we did. Uh, we reconnected. Yeah. We're doing this. This is fabulous. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm in sobriety, which is good for me. And, Wonderful. Uh, yeah. I'm
0: still writing music. Yes, you are, which is great. <laughs> so uh,
1: life is good. Like it uh, that <laughs> That's, uh, That's great. That's great. No, I'm so I'm so glad we reconnected on this, and thanks for having me on the the uh, the the podcast with you. And uh, it's
0: my pleasure. I want to
1: meet Kristen at some at some point. Um, yeah. I know you you've met Sharon. Yes. And we're we're doing okay, and the kids are all doing okay. We've got between us, uh, let's see, eight grandchildren now. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. I, I've got five, and she's got. No, I've got four. And she's got three. That's that's seven. That's I seven, can't yeah. count anymore. Good thing I'm not working in the <laughs>
0: <laughs> No timing notes for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't count anymore.
0: <laughs> Don, this was really wonderful, and um, let's just stay in touch, man. Yeah. just we please, can do please. this. We can do this anytime. Sure, sounds great. Okay, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. We'll talk. Love you, soon. buddy. Love you too, man. All right. Take care. Bye, bye. Okay, so maybe I did go a little deep there. I don't know. I think we had a very real conversation. Very honest, open truth. And here's the thing. If, if when you're in this, the dark place or a hard place, or you're looking at a level of honesty, and it, my encouragement is to to let your art speak through that place be vulnerable don't protect your heart in your art as I quote Steve Tazert from that it's so true and there's some wonderful gems that will come out in whatever art that you use to express yourself alright next week we're going to have music attorney Ari Solatov now this is not going to be a show just for music people Though we do have some great information that Ari shares about copyright. But Ari has a journey, just like we all do. And his is an interesting story. Okay, until next week, remember, if he's doing it, why not you?